But we're going to continue in our uh, journey together and uh, in our series of being honest. Let's be honest today. We're going to talk about useful work. And so I'm, I'm encouraging for you, we're going, to, we're going to catch two commandments today, okay? Because I think, as I've been showing you all the way along, these commandments have a great flow to them. And we're going to see some of the purpose. There's a little bit of a shift going on. We've talked primarily about relationship to God. Not having any other God before the God who frees us. Uh, not making an image of this God because we are called to be God's image in the world. And then not, you, not mixing God's name with things that don't match God's character is part of our responsibility. Today, we hit the bridge and it kind of shifts in some way. And so we're going to look into that. But I encourage you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. And we're going to read from verse 8 through verse 12. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Remember the Sabbath day. By keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant. I'll have to inform them. Nor any animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But He rested on the seventh day. Therefore, Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that Yahweh your God is giving you. Let's pray. Father, these commandments, these words given so long ago are good news to us even today in the 21st century. So help us to hear them. Help us to be challenged by them. And help us to live deeply into this covenant call for our lives today. And we pray this in Your great name. Amen. Well, one of the many blessings in my life was the ability to attend for quite a few years Fuller Theological Seminary. And within Fuller Theological Seminary, there was another blessing in that I got to hear uh, Dr. Archibald or Arch Hart uh, speak often, teach often, um, just be around him, hear his lectures, um, see his life. Uh, we were also blessed that his daughter, Sharon, was uh, helped Lori and I through uh, some times of marital counseling. And then when I was kind of deciphering or looking at a call in therapy, she was my individual therapist and helped. So I have been blessed by the Arch Heart family. And, uh, and so I, I want you to know that I think he's going to help us understand something about this commandment that we have today. And it's a teaching that continues to happen day in and day out for me. It's a question that I continually ask myself that art kind of modeled for me or showed me something. So um, it wasn't in one of his lectures. <laughs> it was just kind of in hearing stories around him. So I, I need you to know a little bit about Arch so that this makes sense. Because Arch is one of those guys who it seems like can do anything, all right? Uh, so he is, is married. Um, there's his daughters, and he's got quite a few grandkids. All of his daughters, I think, have PhDs, and they're successful authors and therapists and uh, uh, musicians. 
Um, but Arch started out in South Africa as a uh, an engineer, and he worked on uh, bridges, roads, train trestles, things along those lines. And he had hundreds, and I think I think I'm not uh, uh, lying here or underestimating. I think he had about a thousand people that worked under him. And he accomplished a lot for the South African government of his day and age. And those monuments to his work are still there. But when he began to lead all of these people, he said, you know, I think it would be good if I took a psychology class. It might help me uh, kind of lead these people better or understand how to be a better manager of human beings. And so he went uh, back to school and he took a psychology class just on a whim, and that was it. He was hooked. He went all the way through, Arch doesn't do anything halfway, all the way through to PhD, became a therapist, was doing all of this work and these kinds of things, and was eventually invited to join the faculty of Fuller Theological Seminary. So moved from South Africa to Pasadena, California, and began this long career. Now, he has a a wife, he has daughters, he has grandkids, uh, so that adds busyness to the life. I know uh, from talking with Sharon that they had movie nights on one night a week where all the kids and grandkids come over and they watch a movie and they hang out as a family. Uh, Arch writes at that time, he wrote about a book a year. This is just a small portion of the books uh, that I have in my library. Uh, Just great, great works on depression, anxiety, and even things like sleep and digital invasion uh, of, of what's coming up and those kinds of things. But the thing that Arch said one time that has stuck with me is he says, you know, I do all of this. I travel around the world. I speak at conferences. I speak to pastors. I write the books. I have my family. I love all of this stuff. But I do all of that so that I can water and care for and eat fresh tomatoes all year round. And you can do that in Southern California. And he just loves to take the time to water to look, make sure nothing's getting at him. He loves to do that. It's what brings him life. It's what recharges him. It's what enables him. He also said he couldn't do all the things he could do. I, I'll tell you one more Arch Heart story. We came into class one time, and, uh, and he said, you know what, last night I was just thinking about something, and I decided, you know, I'm going to write a program that will measure people's stress throughout the day for my Palm Pilot. So he held up his Palm Pilot. You guys remember Palm Pilots? It was like way before iPhone. They still have one. All right, good. The back was torn off of it. There were wires coming out to some kind of thing that fits over your finger so you could measure stress. I mean, this is arch, right? It's just brilliant. Anything he sets his mind to. But he said, I couldn't do any of that if it weren't for getting eight to ten hours of sleep a night. I have to. It helps me rest and recharge. And these two comments, these two teachings stick with me throughout my years. And it causes me to ask the question in the seasons of my life, it causes me to ask the question, do I work to live or have I fallen into the trap of living to work? What is that thing? I mean, these are things that we should wrestle with. I think this is a great question for all of us to wrestle with through the seasons of our lives. What are the things that I live for? What's your tomato plant? 
What is the thing that recharges you, that, that energizes you, that if it was taken away or time squeezed it out, you would just begin to diminish as a person? What is that thing for you? And then the next question is, are you currently able to do it? Whatever it is. If not, have you fallen into the trap of living to work instead of working to live? This is what we must wrestle with. And I think in the 21st century, and particularly in America, it is something that we have forgotten to ask ourselves. And that is why the commandment to rest is so vitally important. Now, some of you grew up in the day and era where um, there was no running, there was no swimming, there was no TV. If it was fun, you just draw a red line through it. Yeah, it doesn't happen on Sunday, right? You were only able to sit around in your dress clothes and rest. Right? Do I, I mean, can I get an amen? There's got to be some of you, you here. I grew up in that, somewhat in that era. It was just one of those things we did. And, and so whenever you hear this commandment, you kind of automatically have this reaction to, oh, God just doesn't want us to have fun. You know, one day a week, no fun. I want to say to you today, lean into this teaching because this is not what this commandment is about. This is about something so much more profound. And so we have to look at what Scripture tells us about this. And we've kind of engaged in this story. And we know that these commandments, if you haven't been here the last weeks, you won't know this, but we know that these commandments are being given to the Hebrew children who have been what for 400 years? Slaves. They have been slaves. And slaves are people who have been placed in captivity. They no longer get to make their own decisions. It is dehumanizing. It is depersonalizing. It takes a person and makes them into a machine. It makes you know that your only worth as a slave is in what you can produce for your masters. And you just become basically cattle. And we see this in the story because when Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, Yahweh says, let my people go and let them go into the wilderness three days journey to worship me. Pharaoh says, no, they are mine. And because you've come in here and imposed upon me, then I'm going to now make it even more difficult. And they're supposed to make bricks and they're going to make the same amount of bricks, but we've been giving them straw and now we're going to take that away from them. And they're still going to have to produce the same amount. So just put the, the thumb screws down, right? You see this. What does that do to a human being? What does that do to a group of people to be told that your only value is in what you can produce, in how hard you can work, and how long you can work over your lifetime? And so, when we hear that, when we know that that is what this commandment comes into, it is God saying, you have lived your life. 
Your parents have lived their life. Your grandparents have lived their life. Your great-grandparents have lived their life saying their only value is in what they can produce, how much you can produce, how often you can produce it, and how long you can produce it. It's not that way with me. And you will have one day a week where you will do no work. In reality, these commandments are teaching are teaching the children of Israel how to be human again. To realize that they were called to be human beings, not human doings. And so, you must cease from work. You must move on. You must uh, begin to see that you have value just in who you are as a human being. And I want you to be together as you do this. And so, he begins to change this psyche of the slave psyche and reteaches how to be human. The fabric of time itself will begin to show this to the people week in and week out. They will have a time where they rest. And their worth is not in what they can produce. And I believe that Yahweh understands that this mentality cannot be undone in one day. Even a day as dramatic as the Red Sea parting and people walking through, it takes time to change the human mind and the human mindset and the understanding. And God is so committed to them relearning how to be human beings that He says every week, every week, cease from work. Cease from work. Everyone in your house ceases from work. Your animals need to cease from work. All of this needs to take place. This commandment reminds... So, so we have this, this understanding of a new way to be human. And this understanding of producing. Now I want, you, I want you to hear this today because I think this is why right after the Sabbath day, there are everybody rests, even the animals rest. Because there is value in just living. I think this is why the next commandment that follows is you shall honor your mother and father so that your life will be long on the earth. Now, we've got to undo some things, right? Because we hear this commandment right now today as obey your father and mother, right? So that your life can be long on the earth. Why? You know, the old family adage, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Right? I mean, we've all heard that, right? And... And we'll get, we'll get back into that. But listen to this today. If you have been in the mindset of your only value is what you can produce and your worth is only based on how long and how extended you can work and what you can do, what happens as mom and dad get older and older and older? What? Production falls off, right? And sometimes it ends all together. And if your mindset is just that someone has value by what they can do, what work they can produce, then what do you do? You push them off to the margins. And there are stories of when slaves get old, they just are taken away and never seen again. And God says, no, 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 no. Your value, this extends not just to you, but all the way through the generations. Your value is not based on what you can produce. And you should still honor the ones who gave you life all the way through to the end of their life, regardless of what they can produce for you. Now, I know there's that kind of threat at the end of it, right? So that your life may be long in the land. Well, think about it. If your kids 
see you do that to their grandparents, what are they going to do to you? Same thing, right? Hey, Dad, uh, you know, you're slowing down there. Time to take a hike. We're going to diminish your rations. No, God says. No. You're to honor them because life is valuable just because life is there and God gave it to you. And we are to honor those who brought us into the world by, by honoring their life all the way through. Now, don't get me wrong, parents and kids and teenagers. You learn how to honor by obeying, right? By learning to obey. By learning, how, learning the wisdom from your mom and dad. So it is good to obey. The other thing I think that's interesting is honor does not exactly equate with love. Because there are some of you who had a very rough childhood. And to hear that and think I have to love my parents, the one who did all those things to me, can be rough. It doesn't say love, but it does say honor. That life was brought through them. I saw a great example of this in my own mom, and she's not here today, so I can tell, tell this story. But my mom had a, a horrible childhood. Um, she was seven years old when, um, and had three siblings and one more on the way when her dad was killed in a trucking accident. And that set grandma off the rails, as I think it would most of us. And Grandma was a nurse, so she had access to medicine, and uh, she took a lot of pills, and that led to a lot of anger and hostility, and uh, she was gone a lot, and when she was home, she was abusive, and she said all manner of evil and all these kinds of things to her kids. And when it came down to the end of her life, my mom honored her. And we moved Grandma into a home near us, and mom went to see her and still, um, uh, you know, took some verbal entanglements. But she cared for my grandmother. And I saw her do this um, when, as grandma was getting further and further away. And somewhere along the line, she honored my grandmother enough that my grandmother actually received Jesus into her heart. And she apologized for all the things that she had done. And you see, it just started by honoring. I, I honestly think my mom would say it was really tough to love. I'm not sure that it would ever approach that. But she honored. And I think she fulfilled this commandment because she took the one who gave her life and she honored her all the way through to the end, saying that your value is not based on what you can do or what you can do for me. You have value because God has given you life. This is the spirit and the tenor of these commandments, teaching the children of Israel how to be human again. So what does this do for you? What does this do for you? I know I'm clicking through my slides here. What is it that you live for? Because I think these two commandments are so powerful for us today. We have sometimes forgotten to ask the questions, do I work so that I can live or do I live so that I can work? We have forgot to keep asking ourselves these questions. So maybe today this is kind of hitting you. And so you wonder, what does this mean for you in your life today? Well, what is it that you live for? Take a moment and think about that. Is it your kid? 
Is it to, to rest and to read? Is it for a walk in the woods? What do, you, what do you do or what brings life back into who you are? The next question you might want to say is, when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you participated in something like that? When was the last time you rested? When was the last time you just took some time to be still or to do that thing that recharges you? A good indicator is, are you asleep right now? It might be that that you haven't asked yourself this question or participated in this recently. So what would it be like Have you found yourself, if you're honest right now, you're feeling like work has so crept into your life that you feel almost like you're not a person anymore? You just exist to get up and work. When was the last time you really slept? Eight to ten hours. Jackson was so excited about Rebel Sunday and getting extra sleep, he got up an hour earlier today. On the old time. So I know kids get in there. But when was the last time you rested? When was the last time you recharged? What would it be like? What would it be like if we committed to recharging? To just testing this out one time this week? So I want to challenge you today. I want us to take the challenge today to try and do something. I want you to plan something between now and next Sunday where you are going to rest or do that thing that brings you life. It's probably a little too cold to water tomatoes. But whatever it is that brings you life, I want to challenge you to do it. And I want, to, I want you to just do something. I just want you to take a snapshot of it. And, and you can post it on social media. I'll see it after Easter sometime. Um, but hashtag it with C3NASRest. C3NASRest. Whatever it might be. Just you chilling outside or inside or walking the dog or whatever it is that recharges you. Let's see what it looks like if we would commit to doing one thing that recharges us or one area of time that causes us to rest and value that we have life because God has given it and not because of what we can do. That you are a human being, not a human doing. And today... Part of what we do is then we receive. We receive. This bread and this cup that you'll receive today, you did not work for. You did not pluck the grain. You did not pick the grapes. It was done for you. And so today, I want you to receive with that in mind, just with gratitude and thanks. And maybe to say, God... I receive from you today all that I need for this journey and I'm going to trust by resting sometime today. Some of you work 40 and 50 and 60 and 65 plus hours a week. You need to ask yourself the question, do I work to live or do I live to work? Come and receive today and let this God come inside of you and teach you what being human is really, really all about. Receive this blessing and now may you know the goodness of being. May you be taught how to be human again. 
If you have been trapped in living to work, I pray that God would help restore the proper pattern of working so that you can do something that brings you life. And I pray that you will find the joy in that. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God bless you. Have a great, great afternoon. Get some rest.